Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are discussing some current book trends that we're seeing and that we think are going to be continuing into early 2024. There are a lot that we have to talk about. I'm excited. We haven't, <laughs> I don't think we've done this topic before. So this is a fun, little bit different topic for us. Yeah. We talk, we talk about them generally, but I don't right. think we've ever done a, a dedicated episode of these are the things that we see and this is why we think they're happening and yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. So it's fun. First, I will ask you, <laughs> <laughs> do you get caught up in trends? Do you like to read? Do you like to feel trendy? Do you like to read the trendy books? Do you like to feel like um, you're part of things like that? No, I don't really care a whole lot. Like, I... I like to know what's popular because I want to be informed and I, but I don't feel such a need to actually have read the books as mm -hmm. I think lots of people have. Like, like for example, I'm reading fourth ring fourth wing right now versus what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm having a really hard time getting into it. Yeah, I did too at first. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll see how, like I just struggle with world building generally in pretty much all books and so as much as I've been told you're just gonna race through it I'm like I'm waiting for that to kick in yeah so but yeah I just tend to not not feel like I have to have read the the big book but then I do really enjoy once I have read it to have to know to like to be in the know I guess and so but I don't follow a lot of or, or I think I do follow a lot of bookstagram um, accounts, but I, my algorithm is not set for them to pop up very much. And so I just feel a little bit out of that whole world, I think. And I don't do TikTok, so I, I'm not part of BookTok. And, and so, yeah, I guess I, guess I just don't... Uh, I, I want to know what they are for, more for professional reasons. And I think I'm good at identifying trends as I'm working with stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like I'm necessarily reading the trends if that makes sense yeah that does make sense but I think you're a little bit more like I know you really like to be in uh, aware and in the know of what is popular in yes I get very sucked into feeling like oh I need to read that if everybody's yeah. talking about it yeah, although yeah. I wish I didn't in some ways because I think I tend to like books better when I go in with no expectations yeah or when sense. I don't haven't heard a lot about them and so it's actually better for me if I either read stuff before anybody's talking about it or wait until that dies down and read it later. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I just can't resist and I want to, I mean, Fourth Wing is a prime example. Although I feel like I was a little bit in front of Fourth Wing. I had just started seeing people talk about it and they were, people I follow on Instagram were posting about it. And I thought, oh, I want to read that. That sounds fun. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like it really blew up right around. I mean, that was about the time, like the fact that I could even still buy a copy at the time I bought it tells you I was slightly ahead because right, right. very quickly it was sold out everywhere. I'm not patting myself on the back. I just <laughs> am saying I was slightly ahead of like the, the big talk about it. Yeah. I remember you messaging me about it and saying, yeah. are you aware of this? Right. This book. The committee, yeah. And, yeah. And and I think that was the first I had heard about it of, oh, okay. from you. Yeah. And so, and then suddenly it was everywhere. So I don't know right. if it was in more places and I just hadn't been paying attention because it's not the most like in your face title and so right. with one of those those someone mentions it and suddenly you see it everywhere right uh, kinds of things yeah. so so yeah I do like to feel especially but in genres that I enjoy I like feeling like I'm 
reading the thing that people are talking about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in general, when I look at the books that I really, really loved, they tend to be books that not a lot of people are talking about, actually, mm-hmm. in the moment that I'm reading it. And so it might be something that people are talking about two years ago, and I finally get around to reading it and think, that's great. Or I've read it before it's kind of caught fire. I'm very susceptible to that. <laughs> that Because part of it is when somebody talks with excitement and passion about books, I'm very persuaded by that because I mm-hmm. like to read pretty widely. And so a lot of different books sound interesting to me. And so when somebody is excited about a book and talking about how great it is, I think, well, I want to read that too. I want to yeah. know if this is a book that I like. And and so I am, I do get sucked into that a little bit when there are trendy books that I, it's mostly because people are so excited about them that then I think, well, I want to read that. Not just because they're trendy. Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think too, it helps that the genres that you enjoy the most tend to be genres that show up in book club like like celebrity book clubs mm-hmm. and and just are a more tech savvy mm-hmm. readership than mysteries which are right what i like and so those those are can be huge bestsellers they they can be really popular but they don't have quite the buzz on the street sort of mm-hmm. feel to them i think and so it's it to me that like i can't imagine the biggest mysteries of i mean i mean I, I i'm sure someone can think of things that will prove everything i'm saying wrong mm-hmm. right now but i but like even even things that were pretty buzzy like the maid still don't have quite that like they don't go viral it, that same yeah, way yeah yeah right. it's just it's just a little bit different of of the the population that's reading them i think and so but they but they still sell it's it's not as though they're they're like middle range like mid-range publishing or something right they're still really popular um and even like thrillers and stuff we that that's died down quite a bit in like they're still incredibly popular but the the buzziness i would say of them has died down in the last few years from where it was and so it it just i think is part of the cycle of of popularity with books that different different genres rise at different times Mm -hmm. and which i i suppose is what we're talking about today exactly that's so so actually that's a good segue to our first topic because we were talking about fourth wing and now uh our very first topic is that dragons are big right now they're so big right now this is interesting because obviously the publishing process takes a while Mm -hmm. it's not like Everybody scrambled to write a dragon book after Fourth Wing. Okay, so if people haven't read Fourth Wing, it is about it does include dragons. Mm-hmm. So, it's, but that just came out last spring. So it's not like all these books were suddenly written in the last six or eight months, right? But it's so it's interesting that it's just well, it's cyclical, probably, right? It's like we do. You see a lot of witch books for a while, and then right. they sort of go by the wayside, and then you see a lot of ghost books or what i'm making right. that up but right now we're seeing a lot of dragon books right uh yeah, what well, do you which think books are still are still giant so no um, i know no that was a bad example but i just mean like yeah it's it's a, i wasn't saying dragons took the place of witches i just mean like you see a lot of witch books but eventually you probably won't see quite as many right yeah 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 it's gonna be it's just the thing that that pops up and so i the thing that made me think I mean, obviously, these have been around for ages, and we'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, like, Anne McCaffrey as a, a major right. author of dragon books. So 
Um, and there's there's plenty of other dragon books and fantasy, but fantasy is really having a moment right now, just just mm-hmm. in the in the overall population of readers, um, in ways that I think it was a little bit more nerdy <laughs> uh, probably 10 years ago to read fantasy now now it's just feels like everyone is into it um and i think that like i wonder if game of thrones the show had a contributing factor to how popular it is now because of because those books existed but now that the show got such mainstream popularity that all these people are like oh yeah the dragons were awesome and we we're gonna write some books about them and mm-hmm. so now we're seeing a lot of that yeah i sort of had an image in my mind as you were talking before you mentioned game of thrones of the tv show game of thrones with the dragons right so, exactly exactly right i think that that was probably part of it and there's something you like you said fantasy is just having such a moment anyway and mm-hmm. so there's something so powerful and interesting and i think very very appealing about reading about dragons like they're so mm-hmm. otherworldly that people like reading about them yeah. i guess but also kind of like pets too yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say you could have them be friendly you can have them be fierce you can have all sorts of different i mean just like any animal type creature yeah but I because also, they're so big yeah 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 that adds the interest i think yeah and they fly and people and like flying fly. stuff <laughs> <laughs> i also wonder if it has to do with readers who grew up with like aragon and oh yeah harry potter and lord of the rings that now that they were young when the when those books slash movies came out that now they're adults and they just want to see more of the stuff that they loved when they were kids because we definitely see that with superheroes that people have like we're in constant superhero everything because because people who loved those growing up have the buying control and money and like Mm -hmm. money making control now and so i wonder if that has to do with it too that could be absolutely hmm dragon readers let us know (laughs) Do tell. Do tell. <laughs> yeah, the next one is great. You put this on our list so you can introduce it. It's a cozy science fiction fantasy specifically, but also just cozy everything, because yes. I really think that cozy everything is is kind of where maybe not all of publishing is at, but a whole lot of publishing is, is into that right now. And I think that that one is sort of self-explanatory just for the need of security and comfort that we all feel um mm-hmm. and are not receiving in any aspect of our lives essentially yes. um that at least when you're reading you can you can sort of wrap yourself up in a in a world that feels a lot better than the world that we're currently in so the two the two books that i sort of thought of as as ex- prime examples of the sci-fi fantasy side of it which is to me the the more uh the newer trend than than just cozy generally mm-hmm. um and so like my beloved legends and lattes is of course one yeah. i'm going to mention because i love it and then a psalm for the wild built is, oh, is a I sci-fi that. book that was yeah. yeah it was a super super good book that that just have this like take take the opposite end of epic fantasy and epic sci-fi that that most people associate with those genres and mm-hmm. take it to a, a different end of the spectrum which i find very interesting and have found that I'm I'm not a natural, certainly not a natural sci-fi reader. A little bit more fantasy, but but not at all sci-fi. And then I read books like *Some for the Wild Built* and realize, oh, this this can include me. I'm invited to this, and that's really yes. nice. It's much more accessible, I think, to right. 
somebody who isn't a typical reader of the genre, I do think people are just craving cozy escape. I was just going to say escape, but not, it's not just escape. It's a mm-hmm. comforting escape. Right. They want to feel good about the world again. Yeah. <laughs> because maybe they've lost faith in the actual world. Right. But it's not quite uh, It's not quite feel good either. It's, no, it's just cozy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so another thing that pops up a lot that, that I'm seeing is um, Asian cozy novels. So things like Before the Coffee Gets Cold was a, mm-hmm. a pretty big book a couple of years ago. And I mentioned in our preview, our latest preview episode, the Kamawaga Food Detectives. Mm-hmm. And those are both things that like are surrounding a little cafe that where people's problems get solved and and it's these i'm seeing both japanese and korean authors that are doing that and and maybe there are are more from other asian countries that i i haven't identified but um definitely that's that's something that is like a micro trend i would say what's interesting about that is because i agree that is a trend that we're seeing but i do think in relationship fiction or what used to be called women's fiction you saw that a lot actually you saw for sure yeah you saw it set in a bookstore or right. a coffee shop where you had this community of people lots of times it was kind of in a small town or if it was in a city it was the commu- the community in the small little neighborhood where right of this well, and cozy city. mysteries too like right, that's, right 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 that's always existed yeah but it's just expanding across other genres now Right. I wrote, I made a list for work that I called Huga fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I, I was like, these are basically Huga and having the it in book form. And so it's almost like a Hallmark style of gentle romance, but also like Debbie McComer has been writing for a long time. And right. those are this type of book, but it's, it's bringing it into a more modern sensibility and sort of a, a freshness to it. And and even things like like Sweet Magnolias and Virgin River are huge shows on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And those are 20-something-year-old series. And so those are like that sense of a very cute and visually appealing and kind of low-stakes problems setting is just, just really drawing people in right now. So... Um, I get it because I'm I'm one of them. Oh, me too. I'm I love right there it with you. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I also wonder if just the Instagram ability of everything has played into this because we want everything to look manicured and perfect in ways that are bigger than ever, and that's just co- like we've talked about how we think that Halloween plays into mm-hmm. like the popularity of Halloween has played into that, and um, just everything is how can this look the nicest mm-hmm. possible and cozy stuff really really fits that bill so yeah yeah yeah. i think it's all all related i love it i don't want it to ever go away no all right i love the next one old people having adventures (laughs) this is such a trend i think and a long going trend i know did this start with the thursday murder club do you think or did it start before that i kind of i in my notes i put that i think a man called ovo is really the start of it even though it's Mm. not so much adventures but sort of that like second lease on life concept which which is definitely that book but there's like that that hundred year old man who climbed out of the window and disappeared series yes there's also what's that book where the guy walks across the country to see the woman he oh yeah the um not the the herald is it Harold? Yes, Harold Pride. Pilgrimage yeah, yeah, of Harold yeah. Pride. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
unlikely pilgrimage of Harold. Eventually, we'll get all the words in in a backwards fashion. People were yelling at the phone or however they're listening. Get there faster. Yeah. So so it's been around for a while, but just just late, like even more so in in the last three years. I think people are are, and I don't know if it would be tied to COVID. Or if there's just like the coziness of it is maybe part of it too. Well, it's funny to me because when I saw this on the outline, I thought what you were referring to was older people getting stuff done. (laughs) Like old people as assassins. (laughs) Or yeah, that too. That to me is a more recent trend that we're seeing. Or like I mentioned Thursday Murder Club. There are a few others that are sort of in that realm. Yeah. And... I'm not sure where that stemmed from. Maybe it's the fact that for so long, I mean, I've seen this in romance relationship fiction. A lot of the protagonists were very young in books. Right. A lot in genre fiction. And I think, obviously, there is a whole gamut of ages of people having interesting experiences. It's not young people's stories are not the only stories we want to hear. And so it could be just sort of people realizing, hey, there's a lot there's a lot to be said for having a lot of experience and the perspective that gives you on life and in these cases when they're mystery or thriller books, like how that would influence how you would go or Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murders is another one. It would influence the way you approach a mystery or how you would respond to certain things that happen because you have years of experience right. in the world. But I, I, this is an interesting one to me because I don't, I guess a man called Uva would, right? Is that how you say it, Uva? Kind of. Kind of, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. At least I don't I say a man had, called Uva. Yeah, we've had this discussion so many times and I I, I'm always like, no one, no one cares, Anne. No, literally no one cares how it's pronounced. So just move on. Anyway, um, <laughs> I do wonder if that was kind of the start. There were several books that came out around that time that right. had a similar, similar feel. And then maybe it's just the evolution from right. that, from that new lease on life as you are in your 70s or 80s right. into, well, it's not just a new lease. It's you still have something important to do and say right. and give to the world. And and we're maybe. still seeing that type of thing. Like the Summer Seekers is one that that is recent. And there's the mostly true story of Tanner and Louise that's mm-hmm. that are actually both road trip mm-hmm. books, which is kind of fun. Um, but that I I think that that you're right that they're almost two two different things. But I think they're stemming from the same the same basic premise of don't discount older mm-hmm. people as being finished. Right and but it's just looking at it in two different ways because because summer seekers and killers of a certain age are are quite different books but yes. they're they both are i think trying to tell the same have the same like like moral essentially right. so right. it's but it's interesting though because miss marple's been around for a really long time and essentially that's what miss marple is is don't discount an older person she might be the key to to everything and so so the fact that like the mystery thriller side of of that subgenre is newer is kind of kind of funny because it's it's really older than than other than what we were talking about as the the man Caldova style right so maybe it's not a new trend it's just swung back in that direction yeah i don't know 
Yeah. It also I, is interesting. A lot of the books that I listed were Scandinavian. And so I wondered, I was like, maybe there's, there's something like I was, I was thinking about the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning mm-hmm. and just this like old, older people need to not just be like, obviously that's a, a very, very different thing. And it's, it's not about a, a second lease on life, but just, we need to pay attention to the needs of older people as well instead right. of instead of just uh, thinking it's all done and i think over time i mean this isn't anything recent but i do think that in everyday life you see people who are older leading very active interesting lives right where when i was young it felt like i didn't see that as much maybe i just didn't notice it as much i guess but um, like I look at my mom and she could run circles around me. She's so active. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's, just, it's partially a reflection of that, of we're seeing a lot of people in our, in our families, in our friend groups, in our lives that that's being reflected yeah. in the books that people are writing because that's what they're seeing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have, my death pact is for 65 and when I made my death pact, I thought 65 was really, really old. Yeah, no. So it's not. So I think that that maybe just collectively we've we've changed our... Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's that whole view. like 30 is... No, 50 is a new 30. Right. And it's true, I think. I think yeah, that yeah. it used to be, you know, over the hill was like 45 or 50. And now that's funny to me. Yeah. As somebody who is... <laughs> Older than 45. Because um, I certainly don't feel that way. And so I do think that there's just been a general shift in thinking of what what encompasses being old. Yeah. yeah. And as we live longer as a right. species, that's part of it, too. It's Right. That's all a, a shift there. So Plus, we're all obsessed with Her- Helen Mirren. And so... <laughs> Everyone's just like, oh, I can't, I can't think of old age in the same way as I used to. I, those, there's Helen Mirren in the world. I 100% thought Helen Mirren when I was reading that Killers of a Certain Age. Oh, totally. The oh, yeah. she'd be so good in that. <laughs> oh. oh, goodness. All right. So my next one that I put on here was Romanticy, which this is... This is the big one. This is a huge one. So this is for anybody who hasn't heard that term before. This is a genre blend which of romance and fantasy together. But I would say it's heavy on the romance. So it's definitely somebody who is a hardcore fantasy reader where they like really epic world building. And I don't think that's the audience that these are being geared towards. I think right. this, is an, this is a genre that's being geared towards romance readers. And I have a few a few thoughts on where this came from. So I think these books have always existed. I think there's always been within fantasy, you have romance storylines. And within romance, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's set in a fantastical world. Mm -hmm. This is a very particular kind of book. Almost, I mean, Fourth Wing, I think, would fall into this. (laughs) This this episode may as well just be talking all about Fourth Wing as a a trend. (laughs) It's very much focused on a central romantic relationship where sometimes it's like a love triangle and then plays into the romance storyline. My thought on why this has really, really blown up as much as it has, because paranormal romance has always been a thing. Right, right. And you're right. It's such a different thing than than this. Yes. I mean, first of all, which this is true in paranormal romance, so I'm not going to, I don't know that I'm going to pinpoint very well why it's different, but very series oriented. Mm-hmm where 
you have these big, I mean, Sarah J. Moss would be right prime example of this. So if you're fam- familiar with The Court of Thorn and Roses, that that's romanticy. And I do think that that really gave rise to such popularity is that book caught on or that series caught on and went viral. And then people were just so eager to read more, mm-hmm. more things like that, where there's this fantasy world, the setting, there's this um, really steamy romance element mm-hmm. to it. I think that's a big part of what romanticy is. It's not it's not a chaste romance. You're going to get some pretty <laughs> explicit scenes in there. And then the stakes feel really high because it's mm-hmm. all about some some good versus evil, world-ending sorts of wars and battles and all these things. So I think that there's a lot of inherent drama to that because mm-hmm. often the hero and heroine are battling against maybe each other against other people so it's all very like life and death stakes Mm -hmm. my other theory of how this has exploded so much is kindle unlimited oh i didn't think about that i think that these books have been well romance in general on kindle unlimited has really exploded yeah and i was just at the bookstore yesterday and i was just sort of taking stock of how many books I was seeing from authors that I think started as self-published basically on Kindle Mm -hmm. Unlimited and then now are getting uh, I'm assuming contracts with big five publishers because their books are sitting in the bookstore Um, and I think that Romanticy was has been very popular on Kindle Unlimited because they're very plot-based fast-paced you're just gobbling them up people read the first one i mean the number of times i've heard people say but people who are generally not readers the way you and i are readers right. will say they read the entire court of thorn and roses series in a week which is oh my these gosh. are big books i mean we're yeah. talking 600 700 pages each <laughs> and there are five books i think in that series and then she has a couple of other series too i mean these are big thick books but they just get so sucked into the world that they and the romance and all of the angst and the drama and all these things that they just it really does suck you in it's like you it's addictive almost you can't Mm -hmm. you just want to find out what happens next what happens next and so kindle unlimited lends itself very well to that kind of storytelling because you can have these books there and if you subscribe to kindle unlimited you can just go from one to the next to the next to the next zodiac academy is another one and i don't know if that's i haven't read those so i'm not sure if those are romanticy i think they might be but i've heard a lot of people talk about that as they spent the whole weekend reading like six of those books or something because they just go from one to the next to the next. Yeah. So I think that really played into how popular that has become because I think Sarah J. Moss went viral. The Court of Thorn and Roses was being talked about on Book Talk and Instagram Mm -hmm. and people were recommending it to their friends. And so then it was well, wow, I I really enjoyed that. And I didn't either consider myself a fantasy reader. I didn't consider myself a romance reader. Maybe I didn't consider myself a reader at all. But now I want more of right. that thing. This has been a really interesting trend, I think, to to sort of observe because it, it, it has taken on such a life of its own. And then there are so many books that now are being published, either traditionally or self-published, that fit in this genre. The other, I, I don't read romanticy like this reading fourth wing is is probably the first one i've i've read that squarely fits into it mm-hmm. but i have read a lot of ya right and which 
I do think that there's a big, a big push of these were YA readers yes. who have grown up and yep. want to see more adult themes, but they still want essentially YA books. In so, yeah. And and really with Sarah J. Moss, Court of Thorns and Roses started out as a YA series. Actually, her Throne of Glass. I oh, is that the first one? That yeah, yeah. was firmly YA. She was a teenager when she wrote the first one of those. Oh, wow. I didn't and know that. And so she wrote two or three of those. They were very much YA. I've only read the first one, so I can't mm-hmm. speak to the contents of the rest of the series. But very much YA. Teen protagonist low I mean some steam but very appropriate for a YA audience Mm -hmm. I would say or very much in line with the other kinds of books that are YA I vividly remember reading A Court of Thorn and Roses and then especially the second book in that I remember vividly you reading it and messaging me about I was I at the time I was working in a library and I was reading it thinking how is this in our YA section? Somebody right. is going to complain that this is in our YA section. Right. Because it was much steamier than a lot of the adult romances that I was reading. Right. And I thought, this is not, this isn't correct. And so it's been, it's interesting because now, I mean, this was probably 10 years ago, I think that, or close to it, that that series started coming out. And so I think now she is all grouped in a, in adults, I think I don't yeah, think the, the Throne of Glass anymore is considered YA right. because they are steamy. They are steamy right. books. They are adult books. They are not. They might have younger characters, but they are not intended for a YA audience. Right. And I think that was just the evolution of her writing and her growing up. And I don't think she probably ever intended them really to be YA. I think she always thought of them as adult. Right. Um, and and so much of that is the publishing of like. Like right. marketing because the, because the style of them didn't exist in 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 like a major publisher sense in the adult world and so of course they're going to be put in YA but then at a certain point in like 2019 I want to say mm-hmm. the publisher changed and yeah. and from our side of things like the vendor side yeah the bisacks which is the codes used to to deter, like to um say the subjects and things on them those were all changed to adult at a certain point right. and so it was sort of this conundrum of oh so we've had all of these under ya for such a long time and now we need to right. is everything getting shifted and and they reissued them with different covers right. to indicate that it was it was adult and the thing that to me is interesting especially reading reading fourth wing right now is how ya it feels to me of yeah. of these epic ya series that that we've all read in you know for for the past 20 years um or 15 years that that it just feels like that but with slightly more adult scenes in yes, them right and but even the the way that characters react is all very very dramatic and and mm-hmm. very not just a high stakes high stakes drama in terms of plot but the characters themselves feel very high emotion yeah and that is traditionally something you see very very common in in books intended for teens because d- teens are having very high stakes emotions all the time and so these were books that were intended to recognize that and so i think i think a lot of it i mean i think that i think that you're right that's coming from all kinds of different different places Mm -hmm. um but as an outsider that that was the thing that really jumped out at me of this is the this is a grown-up version of hunger games oh hunger games for sure yeah that's yeah but i like it i mean that's the thing there is such a place for that 
I think, in the reading world. I mean, even for myself. Yeah, sorry, I don't mean for that to be a disparaging thing. Just uh, just that this is the evolution of it. I just recently read, now I don't know if it's a third or fourth book in A Court of Thorn and Roses. That's a series I had started and then got away from. And then, of course, it's become so popular that I thought, well, I should get back to it. Mm -hmm. And I get it. I mean, there is something about, or Fourth Wing. I mean, I read that. I don't think I loved it the way other people have loved it, but it certainly sucked me in. And I enjoyed reading it. I'm excited to read the second one because there's something to be said for an easy book to read. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this before. I don't like it when it's difficult to actually understand either what's going on or the Mm -hmm. words that are being used like that to me is not a fun reading experience I think it can be a rewarding reading experience but it's not necessarily a fun reading experience and so if you are looking to be entertained and to get out of your daily life of whatever that looks like you you just need 30 minutes an hour whatever it is to get absorbed in something that will take your worries away for a little while I get why you would want to read something that that is maybe not maybe not complicated to read or not hard to comprehend it, but it's just pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. And the that to me, like the what you're saying about it being YA, I think that plays into they're easy to read because mm-hmm. often the action starts right away and the prose is pretty straightforward. You know, you're not there's not a lot of like symbolism or anything mm-hmm. like that right. that you have to seek out. And there's such a place for that. And, and Well, and aren't we all world? sort of looking for that feeling of reading when we were a kid where yeah. yep. we're, we're just completely engrossed by it? And right. That doesn't happen very much as an adult in no. that same way. And it does with these kinds of books because they're, yes, they just grab you right at the well, beginning. And it's funny because, so I think I am more inclined to pick up a book like this than you are. But even mm-hmm. still, these aren't generally the kinds of books that I read. But I follow somebody on Instagram who maybe I'm guessing some of our listeners do too because she's very popular speech reads and bubbly is her handle on Instagram Mm -hmm. and she is reading a series right now by Jennifer Armentrout and oh my gosh she has read I want to say six books in a week or a week and a half or something like that she just and so her excitement just what I was saying earlier about generally trends like somebody's excitement she makes me want to read these books because Mm -hmm. she's just going from one to the next to the next to the next and it makes it seem like such a fun reading experience. And I don't tend to read that way. I, even if I read a series, I don't tend to read them back to back like that. Right, right. And so there's something so appealing. Like you said, it's almost like being a child again or when you're younger and you just get so absorbed in these books that you are so excited that there's another one set in that world. And so I've been following along as she's been reading these thinking, maybe I need to pick these books up because yeah. I just that feeling of being so so absorbed by it you know it's right. so compelling all you want right. to do is read more of it I love that feeling we're all right. searching for that feeling so I think that though these kinds of books lend themselves very well to that kind of reading experience right. okay so we're going to take a hard right turn here because the next <laughs> one that I put down was books that are about serial killers but the switch in perspective so I think for a long time we had all these thrillers where you, it was really focused on the serial killer. I'm very much in the vein of a lot of the true crime that people like to watch and read about or listen to in podcasts. Like it's very much focused on the crimes and if the person is caught or not and all these things, right? It's very focused on the serial killer. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like there's a switch where 
it's putting the serial killer to the side a little bit and focusing more on the people who are affected by uh, the crime. I see what you mean. Like like the like you were talking about with Bright Young Women. Bright Young Women would be one. The Quiet Tenant I just read, which oh, is really I have that. It's really good. It's really good. And it's about a serial killer or well, yeah, I guess he'd be considered a serial killer. He has a a woman kidnapped that he holds in his house. But you never hear from him. You only hear from Interesting. three perspectives. It's the girl that he is holding hostage, his daughter, and then a woman who is interested in him romantically. Um, and then there was another one that now just, oh, shoot, I was going to, oh, um, Notes on an Execution was another one, which is a mm, book that okay. I found very disturbing. But same sort of idea. You learn yeah, about yeah. this person through the women in his life. And... I was pondering this earlier because I thought, what what is this? And I thought, I think women are mad. Yeah. <laughs> I think women <laughs> in general are kind of angry about, I mean, I'm not obviously generalizing. I don't think every woman in the world is mad. But I think that there's a feeling of maybe that things have been done certain ways for so long and, and women are, are mad about it. Mm-hmm. Women are upset that they've been put in a secondary position because of patriarchy all these all these years and so I'm wondering if that's what has led to this where it's this feeling of no he doesn't get to have his story told because that's he's not the important one I mean it's the same thing that I think a lot of conversations have revolved around within the true crime fascination where do we lose track of the fact that there were actually victims here that Mm -hmm. the people lost family members and friends and spouses and mothers and sisters you know it's just I think that there's been a a lot of conversation about that and purposely Mm -hmm. trying to not have that happen I think back to something like Serial the podcast I remember that being a criticism of it that we didn't hear much about the victim Mm -hmm. it was very much everybody was talking about Adnan who was in jail and convicted of the crime and so I I think that this is a reaction to that I would say where Mm -hmm. it's sort of like why do we want to read about a serial killer and what he is doing we want or I guess he or she we don't get very many female serial killers but they exist like let's hear from the people whose lives were impacted it's interesting because it's it's a the true crime fascination is so female dominated Mm mm-hmm and then it's interesting to see within that a secondary push of like, wait a second, we've been the ones who've been fascinated by this, but right. what are we doing to ourselves by, right. by, and I know a lot of, you know, any, any true crime person for the most part is going to say that they are not glorifying the, the crimes of, of these men, but uh, primarily men, but, but that they're there to see to, because they can't stand them and they hate them, but then also it's hard to it's hard to justify that sometimes when you still are completely fascinated by someone yeah and so um so yeah it's a very it's an interesting evolution of that that continuing trend yeah I mean I talked about this plenty when I talked about bright young women last time but there is such a myth around Ted Bundy in particular that Mm -hmm. it was really satisfying and interesting to read something that made him out to be just sort of a guy yeah. who wasn't that smart. And I don't know that much about Ted Bundy, but I do. I have heard, I've lived in the world. I know enough of, to know that uh, the way people talk have talked about him. This is sort of a micro trend. I don't know that it's a huge thing, but I do think there's a little bit of a flip in mm-hmm. women taking control of the narrative and 
the situation versus it being from the the serial killer's perspective. Yeah. Um, so I'll be curious to see if that continues or if this was just like a little blip. But I, yeah, it, yeah. It, it did feel a little bit like a trend to me that I'm guessing there are more than the ones I mentioned because these are those are only ones I've read. Um, obviously don't read them all. So Okay, so the next one, I don't know that I actually have that much to say about, just to note that it is a trend, which is grumpy sunshine romances. Romance in general is a genre that's full of tropes. So people very much identify with, there are certain tropes that they really love, there are certain tropes they really don't like, there are some where it doesn't matter what the story is, if that trope is there, they're going to pick it up and read it. And so grumpy sunshine is not a new trend by any means. Um, but basically for opposites it, attract or for well, right, right. Like well, that. but grumpy sunshine is very specific to yeah, for sure. generally the male being kind of a grump, <laughs> kind yeah. of not interested in any of the woman's sort of happy brightness and um, sunshininess. Although I have just read one that's sort of a flipped version of that. But generally that's the well, setup. That yeah, I was going to say that role playing is the same yeah. the same way where she's, Oh, is it a flipped yeah, one? Yeah, she's she's grumpy, he's sunny. Yeah, I like that. But so but it's just I just feel like it's everywhere right now and people yeah. really seem to like it. And I'm not sure why actually. I'm not sure why this is the the trope that has broken out so much compared to some of the other very well established tropes. Um but I just feel like it's it's everywhere right now. So mm-hmm. many romances are even if you look on Amazon, like they'll, or wherever you look for your books, but Amazon will often put it almost as like a subtitle of a book. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, again, Kindle Unlimited, but they'll say Grumpy Sunshine Romance. Um, and and it's funny to me, it's just that it's so popular right now. And I don't really, I, I don't know what to attribute that to. It's just, I wanted to comment that it's everywhere. Maybe, maybe because fake relationship was such, it and continues to be such a huge trope in in romance and that's inherently like a comedic setup Mm -hmm. that now because it's so saturated the the romance world that now people are looking for like i know that i'm very tired of of Mm -hmm. fake relationship books that maybe people are looking for other opportunities like and uh, that's not to say there aren't other ways to have romantic comedies but this is a pretty Mm built-in way that you're going to see comedy come into your romance yeah. and so so I wonder if there's just people looking for fresh fresh ways to to get the humorous side that's a good thought yeah it usually yeah. does lend itself well to being funny and fun and you see the hero or the whoever's the grumpy one like being won over by the right. sunshiny one and that's really fun I always am a fan of characters who are happy generally so the sunshine characters usually I enjoy seeing them and reading along with their stories find them appealing but it's 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 been interesting to me to see how popular they've become yeah even something like like people we meet on vacation he's not really a grump but there's a difference in like his squareness versus her her kind of hippiness I guess and I think that 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 sort of feels the same to me of of you're gonna get funny situations yeah (laughs) I mean that's definitely like you mentioned opposites attract like that's there's a reason those are established tropes of opposites attract yeah but you're right that it's a different type of of thing I mean it's definitely a subset I would say yeah 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 but it's just a very specific kind yeah. Anyway, so yeah, like I said, I don't have much to say about that beyond noting that it's very popular. Okay, the next two I wrote down, and I'll also go through them pretty quickly, but Diverse Horror is continuing to have 
its moment and just generally horror is having yeah, a moment and I'm, moment. I'm into it. I feel like diverse horror has always existed, but it's been very small publishers and, and, and very indie publishers, very short story based. And I think that the influence of Jordan Peele and Get Out can't be overstated mm-hmm. on the emergence of, of diverse horror as a major publisher trend. So um like Stephen Graham Jones, who wrote the one that you nominated, but now I can't think of the name. Only Good uh, Indians? Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's right there. Um, like, that was a huge book. Um, we've talked about Victor Laval before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silvia, Silvia Moreno-Garcia, who wrote Mexican Gothic, is a, a huge name in horror. And it's just everywhere. <laughs> and and I, I think it's just really exciting because it's such a... I mean, horror is always looking at or generally is looking at real situations and amplifying them into or trying to amplify things that are going on in the real world through a horrific experience mm-hmm. and so to see and that's what what get out is about and so to see that um, done for so many different communities all of these different voices that are coming into this and, and showing like like these are the terrible things that happen and what Mm -hmm. if i place that terrible situation that happens in real life into this fantastical situation Mm -hmm. um in fact uh jordan peele has a book that i need to read this month that is called (laughs) out there screaming that's an anthology of uh diverse horror authors um, writing short stories and so all of it is based on the idea of these are the horrific situations that we're living with day to day and we're going to parlay those experiences into a horror story so Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's a very interesting development do you have anything no i think you've covered it and i think we've talked a little bit before about this being a trend so i don't think i have anything significant to say beyond what you said yay hooray i'm glad i covered it And then also pretty pretty briefly, because I think this has been around for a really long time, are and but are still shockingly being published all the time, are feminist mythology retellings. Mm-hmm. Um so Circe I think is the big start of that that trend, but now it just is covering so for a long time it felt like it was only Greek and Roman mythologies that mm-hmm. were that were showing up and then you just started to see other mythologies, so Norse and Celtic and uh, now African and Asian mythologies and you're also starting to see biblical mythologies that are being retold from from the women of these these long established stories but these women that have did not have a voice in in them or, or didn't have a strong voice um, and so I'm also seeing famous literature being treated in the same way which has always kind of existed of, of mm-hmm. like fairy tale retellings and things like that but um, but it feels like it fits more into this here's someone who's been maligned in literature and now Mm -hmm. she's going to get to say so like there's a book called i think it's uh queen hereafter is i think the name of it i actually forgot to look that up and it's it's macbeth from lady macbeth's perspective Mm -hmm. and so um there's just a lot of female rage out there right now and i think you hit the nail on the head with with what you were saying about reverse or uh shifted perspective serial killer books that there's just so much uh reconsideration of stories that we sort of took for granted and are now tired of seeing that done over and over again without these other the women but but just perspectives that have have not been been explored before right 
I like these. I mean, you, there's. I think this expands beyond just the ones you mentioned. I mean, Hamnet by oh, Maggie yeah, O'Farrell was about sure. uh, Shakespeare's wife right, and right. child. So I think it's, yeah, those people, those women that we didn't hear about very much because we mm-hmm. were hearing about the men. Like that, I think, I like this trend. I think this is, yeah. new, every book that I've read that fall, would fall into this category has been really interesting because it does exactly what it's meant to do, which is, change your perspective on the story you thought you knew, which is always really a gratifying reading experience, I think. Right. And even if it's not like the best done book, I still always think I'm really glad I read that. That was that was so interesting. interesting, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my last one is kind of a silly one, but it is such a trend that I just had to mention. I don't think it's silly. I think it's super, super. It's not a trend in content to no. trend in form which yeah. is that so many books now are being released in often in special editions but with sprayed edges so yeah. if you don't know what i'm talking about if you have a hardcover book even actually i've seen one that was a paperback book that has really this. yes assistant to the villain there was a version oh, yeah. that had red edges so the pages that usually would be white if you were to look at the side of the book that's opposite of the spine, basically, you know, if you're looking at it that way, they have a color on them. They have been sprayed with something. And often they have some sort of design on them. Mm -hmm. And there are whole book subscription services that re-release books that are published elsewhere with these decorative elements to them. And I just find it fascinating because it is something that, I mean, I had a Bible when I was little that had gold edges, mm-hmm. and I don't remember seeing many other books in this previous 40 years that had that, and now they're everywhere. I was yeah. telling Anne before we started recording that I was looking at my local independent bookstore that I frequent. I was looking at their website earlier at their pre-order section, and I want to say half the books that I looked at had these sprayed edges, so these decorative, interesting edge uh, edge. I don't. I mean, they're edges, right? It's like the edge mm-hmm. of the page. Yeah. The actual page is still white. Yeah, yeah. So it's fascinating. And I, I know that existed. Like you'll see, you'll see rare book collections where they'll show books that had painted edges, mm-hmm. where like you you spread the pages and it, you could see the full painting, sort of. And so it's not like it's a new art, but it's it's different consumerism that that's like counting on people needing all the additions too and right. so and it's just generally as a is a we, we talked about this a little bit too just a general push for book display and book owning mm-hmm. in ways that i that are are like in the last 15 years mm-hmm. i think um there's so many instagram accounts and i'm sure tiktok accounts too that are devoted to look at my books and yes. look at how they're outward facing and these ones are color coordinated and it's it's very very different than when i was growing up (laughs) yes and i mean you have series where the spines right all have a if you put all the books next to each other they have a picture that spans all the the spines of the books so i i think it's pretty cool i mean i i don't know that i love that it encourages buying a bunch of books although anything that supports reading i think i I like, but I mean, yeah. I don't, only do it within your budget. Don't, right, don't right. buy books okay. just because you want to display them. But I don't know. I think it's neat to make them a collector thing where yeah. you yeah, can yeah. show off or not show off, even just admire for yourself. These are the books that I love. I mean, yeah. I have 
a million books on my shelf and they're just books I've collected over the years. So they don't, it's not for the aesthetic value of them. It's just because I like being surrounded by books. But I, I yeah. think this is a cool trend that you have this interesting, beautiful element to it. Beyond, right, I right. mean, book covers have always had that, but it's, it's going beyond that. And I think it's pretty cool. Right. I think it, I think it's funny that it's, it's messing up the efforts of those monsters that put their books with the spines facing inward where the it's all supposed to be neutral because you don't want do people still do that i don't know if anyone actually did it or if it was just a magazine thing but it was certainly uncalled for and so i i hope that this ruins it for everyone Uh, i'm really glad we're ending on this because it's full circle because the first edition uh, the original printing of fourth wing had sprayed dragons on the edges so way to bring it back to the beginning (laughs) all right we will be right back with what we're reading this week okay Anne, what are you reading this week this week i'm reading a horror novel because i'm still in that mood and also i have to for the committee and it's called black river orchard by chuck windig and it's, it's pretty long and it has a lot of characters so i'm going to try to explain it Um, It's set in a town called Harrow and it's set like the central family is the Paxton family and they're down on their luck because the family orchard at some point in the the dad um, of the family is named Dan. His father had the family taken into a land um, like incorporated into a land conservation area and only recently has the land been returned back to the family. And so Dan has been trying to grow a signature apple to support his farm. but in the meantime, he's really struggling financially, and he's trying to raise his daughter, Kala, on his own um, after his wife died several years ago. So he is experiencing a lot of pressure from a bigger local farm to sell the land to them and to get out of the business entirely. So he is putting all of his energy into these there's seven trees that he inherited, and he finally has developed this incredible variety of apple that is almost black with sort of this this reddish jewel-like skin to it basically so Kala wants to be an influencer and she's a teenager and so she uh, is asked to name the apple and she decides to, to name it ruby slipper but she really thinks this entire thing is dumb because she hates apples and doesn't want to eat them so they go to, they take everything to the farmer's market and no one is buying from them they're all going to the the bigger farm um, to, to buy their produce until they decide they need to start giving samples. And, and Kala, as a sort of marketing-minded girl, <laughs> decides this is what they need to do. And as they, they start to give them out, they soon can't keep up with demand. And people seem almost rabid with their, their need for these apples. So at the same time in town, uh, a woman named Emily has just moved there with her wife, Meg. And something has happened between them, but we don't know what. And Emily doesn't have a job and she's upset that she's been relo- relocated from Philly to Meg's hometown and that they're living near Meg's family, which is sort of a, a tense situation. So Meg is also a fan of these ruby slipper apples and she, Emily realizes that they're making her behave strangely. So it, it, like at one point she bites into her thumb itself while she's eating an apple but then it heals almost immediately Hmm. so something is weird is going on but emily is allergic to apples so she hasn't touched them so one day emily is out on her own and she comes upon a human skull and this puts her in contact with a man named john compass who is what i think is a real thing an heirloom apple hunter who who is out looking for 
varieties of apples that were thought to be, I guess, extinct and, and that, that are grown, growing wild in New England. And he thinks that the skull that she finds is that of his, his missing friend. So all of these elements, I think, are going to come together at some point because that's what books do. <laughs> and I'm counting on that. Uh, but the tie between all of them are these apples. And they just seem like they're incredible because they are healing and they fix issues like poor eyesight. But they also are coming with this voracious need to eat them and to continue to eat them. And as you're eating them, you turn into a darker version of yourself. So there are hints of violent and terrible things to come if the the smaller things that have happened are any indication terrible terrible things are going to happen so it's very fun i think to be reading this right now because it's fall and apple orchards are so trendy and so to see the setting that's very in my mind quite cozy because of my associations with apple orchards and just fall generally and then to see this sort of insidious malevolent presence that's that's bringing this town down is is very fun and it's creepy enough that I I can't listen to it at night so I think that that's sign of a good horror novel so that is Black River Black River Orchard by Chuck Wendig that sounds interesting I was going to say that might be one I would pick up but you saying it's too creepy to listen to makes me think I do not want to make that I mean I'm kind of a weenie with with stuff like that and so as much as I enjoy uh creepy stuff and horror I'm I really struggle to listen and read it at home because I'm I'm too in my head in those situations so so it might have been if I were reading it in print it would have been okay because it's not it's not spooky in the way that I normally get creeped out it's more like ooh, this is this is a bad oh okay force and so it might be okay but it so far has been it's minor gore but it's still I think is amping up to big gore (laughs) so that might not Mm, not be your thing yeah You could just give me the synopsis once you're all I done. will. I will. All right. So my book that I read this week was Three Holidays and a Wedding by Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley. And you are a Halloween person, as we have established, and mm-hmm. I am a Christmas person, as we Yay. have established. And so I realized over the last few years that I used to be sort of very strict about I don't decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving and all these things but I really love Christmas and we travel for the holidays and so I have realized that the if I embrace Christmas earlier before Thanksgiving it just allows me more time to enjoy it versus waiting until after this arbitrary Thanksgiving date and then uh, only having a few weeks so I decided on November 1st that it was time to read a Christmas book and this is actually really fun because it's not just a Christmas book as the title references it's about three different holidays because it takes place in the early 2000s when Ramadan Hanukkah and Christmas all fell at the same time so obviously if you're familiar with those holidays, they are different number of days. Ramadan is a month, Hanukkah is eight days, Christmas is just one day, but they all fell at the same time in this one year, and they will again, but this is a pretty special time that this happened. This book is basically like a Hallmark Christmas movie, but better in my mind, <laughs> because it is about Anna and Mariam who meet when they are at an airport on their way to Toronto. Anna is meeting her boyfriend's family for the first time and Mariam is traveling with her very large family 
for her sister's wedding. And they don't really hit it off right away. There's an interaction at the airport that sort of puts them both, well, really Mariam more than Anna, but on edge. And then they end up sitting next to each other and their plane goes through some big turbulence. And then there's a huge snowstorm that causes them to have to divert and land in this really, really small town in the middle of Canada. And it is basically like the setting for a Hallmark Christmas movie. But it is a little bit more diverse than that because it celebrates all different cultures and religions. You have all these different stores and restaurants that are all these different cultures and ethnicities. So it's a real conglomeration. So it's a perfect place to set a book that is celebrating these three different holidays. And wouldn't you know it, there's actually a Christmas movie being filmed in this small town while they're stranded there because of this huge (laughs) snowstorm and neither of them can get to their final destination. They're stuck there for the foreseeable future and you watch as they adapt to the town, the town embraces them, there's a Christmas pageant that happens, there's all this different holiday stuff, you get to know Mariam's family, there's a very handsome actor in the, the Christmas movie that's being filmed that plays a role. So I really enjoyed this, if you can't tell. It was so perfectly holiday-y, but it wasn't just a romance the way some of these other books or the Hallmark Christmas movies can be, because it was about their friendship, too. It was about them getting to know each other. They're both kind of at a crossroads in their lives, professionally and personally, and so they're figuring that out, and so that plays a role in the story. You also get to learn about these three different holidays if you're not familiar with all three but not in a pedantic way it's like very naturally integrated into the story way I really really enjoyed it if you are a person that likes to read holiday books or watch holiday movies I would definitely put this towards the top of your list for this year because it was just a pure delight I was very charmed by it it is three holidays and a wedding by Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley and she's written some some uh Uzma Jalaluddin has has written a lot of other books that I've enjoyed. Yes, yes. And so, um, so it seems like she like we'd be in good hands on that one. Yes, it, it was really it was really great. And Marissa Stapley actually has written several other holiday books under the pseudonym Maggie Knox that she I think, but I think it's she and Karma Brown are a co writing team and they've written as Maggie Knox several holiday books. Okay. So she it it was there's an interesting author conversation at the end of the edition that I read where you learn how they came to be writing this book together. That was pretty interesting. All right. Well, usually we list off books that we have discussed, but since we only talked about the two that we were reading this week and then also just dropped in a million in our conversation, (laughs) we aren't going to do that because we don't have those written down. A quick note that we are going to take a little bit of a break This is Anne's heavy reading time for the committee that she is on. So we are going to give her some time and space to do that. So for her (laughs) mental load, she doesn't also have to be thinking about preparing or recording the podcast. But we will be back probably at the end of December with our favorite books of the year. And then after that, we do our superlatives of the year, which those are two of my absolute favorite episodes we do all year. And I start thinking about them way ahead of time of what's going to be in those two episodes so i'm looking forward to that but you won't hear from us from a little while but then we'll be back but really just like six weeks it's not yeah not very long not anything terrible and i I was as i was thinking about when when i thought oh this is really not possible right now i thought that these are these are episodes that i can't not do because they're just 
they're our favorites. So yeah, yeah, I love them. I mean, even yeah, even if we have to push one into January, I think I love doing those. Okay, if you would like to get in touch with us to tell us what trends you are seeing, or if you have a suggestion for a topic you want us to cover in 2024, uh, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talk about in all of our episodes. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. Happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate. 